Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Hello, John. It's good to be back. So myself and Alan, we're, we're going to be discussing uh, a number of equities as we usually do on the weekly instalment of the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Um, but before that, we're going to be discussing and just touching on and looking at some of the major themes that we're seeing out there in markets. And today, Alan, that is indeed inflation. Inflation is yeah. a, a topic that we've been discussing about, hasn't it, going back uh, to the beginning of the year. Uh, focusing at that point predominantly on America and you know the waves that we saw in equity markets on fears that there was going to be higher inflation and, and, and potentially action from the Fed. But really now that's starting to shift, especially for, for investors here in, in the UK. At that point, there, there wasn't too much in the way of UK inflation, but that's really uh, changed very quickly. And we've seen a reading of 2.5% in uh in in the uk core inflation here uh the reading the bank of england pays the most attention to so that really does put some some pressure alan on on rates and we have touched on on rates previously i mean in your view i mean looking at what's happening with this inflation reading i mean do you feel that there is a real pressure on uh, the Bank of England to increase rates, or, or do you think it's just a, a media storm that's um, being put out there to, to grab some headlines? Uh, well, personally, John, I think it's a media storm because um, where the where we are now, as an as well globally, not just as a nation, but um, our governments around the world are saddled with these uh, huge debts resulting from furlough payments. Um, and you know the the legacy of COVID and all the action that that's that's been taken on the back of that. Of course, we've got um, companies coming back to work, um, exiting furlough schemes. Some companies won't make it, so there will be job losses, which will put further pressure on people's ability to pay mortgages, to maintain debt levels um, on so many levels. And I think um, that. The banks, well, the Bank of England is really forced into a position where, um, although, yeah, interest rates could increase by a quarter of 1%, um, uh, I think any movement upwards at the present time, despite the, the this, you know, the big jump in inflation that we've seen, um, is going to, is going to be seen um, as, it, it's going to send a shock to the markets. And I think the, the it'll, it'll have an adverse effect. Um, in some ways, it will drive investors back into safe haven investments. So you'll probably see a, a, any fall in in uh, conventional stocks um, offset by gains in commodities. Uh, again, as as investors go back to uh, safe havens, uh, safe haven investments such as precious metals, uh, silver, um, uh, gold, platinum, and so on. But um, uh, I, I think the bank is going to very much maintain the status quo and probably just see how it plays out. Um, and of course, um, you know, l l let's not forget, uh, you know, uh, the travel industry is still on its knees. 
people are starting to travel now and of course um, uh, fuel consumption is increasing um, so you know oil prices are, um, all, oil and uh, prices and pump prices have probably to some extent driven that increase in inflation but um, but uh, I, I think I think if if uh, if we see if we see more money spent on travel um, and leisure going forward then um, the then then there is a there is a chance that we may well see um, the, uh, the the inflation rates start to uh, top out and uh, hopefully even fall uh, during the third quarter. So I mean, when we're looking at markets, the FTSE 100 is off slightly, trading I think just beneath 7100. Uh, we we're seeing actually you know the, the falls coming from you know, some of the more defensive sectors. Uh, some of the utility companies are down quite heavily. Um, some of those companies that uh, traditionally associated with higher levels of debt are also um, slightly weaker. But where we are seeing some strength. And is as you pointed out, commodities they're stronger. You know they will, they will benefit from higher metals prices. Some of the banks are higher, um, and that's something that we're going to move on and discuss in, in more detail. But I mean, sort of looking at some of the um, commentary that's out there this morning, Aldi, Andy Haldane, who was the former chief economist at the Bank of England, said we could see inflation going up to to four percent. Um, you know, in the in the short to medium term, and I mean, if we do see that, Alan, I mean, do, do you think that we see waves of um, uncertainty and volatility in equity markets here in the UK, particularly in you know the FTSE 100, FTSE 250, similar to what we saw in the S and P 500 and the Dow Jones at the beginning of this year, when there were real concerns about inflation um, over in the United States? Yeah, I think. I, the, the... Um, any jump in inflation from this point is going to be a worrying development um, because of all the speculation uh, then concerning what actions the government may or may not take over it. But um, I think it's got to, I think inflation would have to uh, not only get to 4%, but it would have to hold and maintain that and possibly even show signs of going higher before the government acted. I, I could be I could be wrong on this, but I just think there is so much at stake in uh, we're at that transition point where the the nation is starting to get back to normal. Um, we've got the lockdown lift coming, and uh, you, well, a, a promise from the government that um, that there won't be any further lockdowns after this. But I think um, I think uh, the herd immunity, um, if it is the herd immunity approach, um, triggers a huge increase in COVID cases. I think we could see. Probably regional restrictions come back in again, such as happened, I think, in Leicester uh, towards the end of last summer, in uh, summer two thousand twenty. So, um, so there, it's a balancing act at the moment, and I don't think, uh, and I think the government will be concerned about inflation, but I don't believe it's going to act until it shows signs that it is getting out of control. And you know, four percent—that's a big number, um, but. I think would have to sustain that for um, probably several quarters and possibly even push higher before the government would uh, act on interest rates um, and, and change change the current stance. Yes, indeed. And I mean, one of the things that investors should probably take away from the data uh, from this morning is the element of of higher fuel prices mm. uh, within. 
this this rise of course you know if you look back to, to last year um we we saw a crash in the the price of oil as you know concerns around uh, the pandemic and oil demand really sent prices um cratering in in, you know, in one instance uh, oil prices are actually negative so that's obviously being shown now um you know the recovery that we've seen in oil um that's really being uh, reflected in the the figures that we've seen so uh, that's obviously a, a uh, a factor that will that will level out as we as we go through the year. So indeed, inflation is going to be uh, a key theme in markets going through the rest of this year. I'm sure a theme that we'll touch on uh, again. But let's move on now, Alan, and, and look um, at you know one of those sectors that I did touch on uh, as a beneficiary potentially from uh, not so much inflation, but the potentially higher rates um, that could. Uh, be caused by higher inflation um, in the banking sector. So when we're looking at uh, the banks, we, we've seen them actually being um, some of the best performers in the FTSE 100 mm. uh, this morning. But Alan, when we're looking at these, it, it may not just be a case that you know people are potentially pricing in higher rates. We've actually had quite a significant uh, development and announcement from the Bank of England yesterday in as far as they're going to be reducing and sorry, removing the cap on uh, payouts from banks in the form of share buybacks and dividends, which is a significant move. If anybody remembers back to the beginning of the pandemic, Bank of England said to financial companies, you know, not just the banks, some of the insurance companies, you, you need to maintain high levels of capital in your balance sheets. So they effectively told them to stop paying out dividends, which they subsequently did. We did see at the beginning this year very incremental and, and small uh, resumptions of, of, of dividends. I mean, Lloyd's paid out 0.57p um, earlier this year. Um, we saw a penny from, from Barclays. Mm-hmm. But Alan, yesterday, the, the news from the Bank of England does open up the uh, path for higher dividends. And, and remember, back to before the pandemic, some of these banks were actually paying quite substantial Yields. Do you, do you think now, Alan, looking at what they've said yesterday, that it's just a case now um, of banks, you know, incrementally increasing their dividends um, over the next twelve months to a stage, then they will be, you know, become real dividend payers again? Or do you think there's going to be some caution there from the banks? I think there'll there'll be an element of caution, but also let's not forget the banks uh, uh, need to, and they are in the process, of course, of of um, updating and modernising and transforming their offerings because there's there's now huge competition out there from the likes of Monzo, uh, Starling, uh, Tide and, and others, all these challenger banks looking to come in and get on the, in on the act. And of course, the, the open finance and open banking initiatives are really changing um, the way that we that we save our money, the way we use our money and the way we transact. So the, the, the old banking names, they're great investments, but they have to move with the times. And uh, I, I think a, a lot of the, uh, certainly the UK-focused banks, while, whilst they, they've seen, I mean, Lloyd's, for instance, has seen a very strong, it's seen share price recover 57% over the past year, currently trading at 47p, which uh, gives it a market cap of 33 a billion, of course, um, but uh, with a dividend yield of two point three percent, that's attractive-ish. But um, I think if they if they decide to increase their dividend payment, um, 
they will become attractive to uh, to to the funds again, and uh, and obviously uh, more retail investors will get in and hold the stock. But um, they need to transform their offering. I, I think a few months ago they they announced that they they closed. Um, I'm just looking at the, uh, the the news announcement. They closed um, 45, uh, 44 branches, sorry, in June, um, uh, and they've just said there's a lack of customers going to the sites um, because everyone's moving to digital. So Lloyd's has got the challenge, along with uh, you know a, a lot of other banks, and also a new challenger bank Metro that, of course, has got these branches uh, um, uh, out through uh, throughout the country. Um, has also got a similar challenge. But I think in many ways, uh, Metro doesn't have the property legacy that Lloyd's does. So um, I think provided Lloyd's can offload its, um, its, uh, the, 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 the branches that uh, are uneconomical for it to run, it'll be okay going forward. Um, so we then look at the, the, the other banks, uh, the likes of, uh, of course, HSBC and Barclays. Um, uh, um, and Standard Chartered to a lesser degree. All these banks, of course, have international exposure. So um, they, uh, and Barclays in particular, has a very strong uh, investment arm. And um, uh, although the first quarter figures for this year didn't impress, um, I think there are great expectations from the bank. And of course, Jez Staley, the chief executive, has come from an investment banking background. He's been the chief executive of Barclays for the past six years, came in and 2000 and 2015. Um, so I think uh, great things are expected of Barclays going forward. Um, and probably it's the banks with the international exposure that have the, the greater opportunity for growth, um, both in terms of um, utilising their technology to reach a broader audience. And of course, um, in Barclays case, with its investment arm, that, um, that can really power those profits higher. So um, so I mean, certainly my pick. I, I I'm a shareholder in both Barclays and Lloyd's, but I am looking at Lloyd's, and I'll keep a close eye on that. But um, I picked up Barclays uh, when it was on its lows last year, so I'm quite happy to continue holding that. And obviously, the prospect of a an increase in dividend is is very attractive. I just want to go back to uh, an interesting point that you made there. Um, Alan, about you know the, the challenger banks and you know what that could mean for your more traditional banks such as uh, Lloyd's, Barclays, NatWest. Now, of course, you know challenger banks aren't, aren't anything new; they've been around for some years now. But we're just starting to see some you know comments and actions um, coming out in terms of um, consolidation. I mean, not so much a challenger bank, but JP Morgan have uh, recently said they're going to be acquiring Nutmeg. Um, as they as they look to make a, a move into uh, UK digital banking and, and investments, I mean, do you think it's a case that uh, the banks that we we've touched on, Lloyd's, NatWest, and, and, and Barclays, could be holding back from paying dividends because they want to be keeping some capital spare for making acquisitions to to actually grow their offering, as you touched on? Yes, I think that's absolutely the case, and, and I think uh, you know, let's not forget these guys are. And have been the market leaders for years, and um, uh, you know we we've laughed at them for being out of date and uh, and stayed and lagging behind the times. But I think I think um, probably they've uh, their teams have sat back and looked at how the banks are developing and how the offerings, firstly, are developing, but also how they've been received and used and utilised by 
by um, by by people in banking today uh, or, or account holders. Um, and uh, I think uh, I think we will see some moves coming from from the banks going forward uh, to acquire acquire some of these uh, um, operations and, um, and and to streamline to, to, to basically buy the technology to help them. Uh, uh, streamline their own technology, but also to to make sure that um, they maintain market share. Because as more challenger banks come in, that market share becomes more and more fragmented. The pieces of the cake are divided up and become smaller, and that's a real threat for the UK centric banks like Lloyd's. But I think um, the international banks. I think Barclays has has always it's met challenges head on, um, and with the credit crunch, of course, in two thousand eight, we've still got the um, the thorny issue of the of the uh, the money that was raised from uh, the Middle East that came in and uh, bailed Barclays out in the middle of the credit crunch, um, but nonetheless it worked at the time and Barclays is in fairly rude health today. So um, so certainly from my mind um, and in looking at the sector as it stands at the moment, Barclays is my pick for ongoing growth from this point. Fantastic, indeed, uh, a sector worth uh, worth keeping an eye on. Then, especially what you mentioned there with the technology. Um, end of last year, as reported, Lloyd's were potentially eyeing up the technology of of Starling Bank. So uh, that that does reinforce what you're saying that these banks really need to increase um, their technological offering to to, to stay relevant. And, and on the subject of uh, fintech. Um, you know, listeners do go back and, and check out the podcast that we published yesterday, uh, which is with a Ukrainian co-founder of um, a app called Koto here in, in the UK and a little bit about the story there of how that came about and, and the technologies that they're utilising in uh, increasing um, banking offerings here in the in the UK. So, Alan, let's let's move on now, and you know, staying roughly within you know technology, albeit very different, the biotech um, sector. We're looking at Open Orphan, one that we've discussed on the podcast previously, mainly due to um, some outstanding set of results, a very acquisitive um, business. So, what's the latest from them? Right. Well, Open Orphan have had a, a very busy morning. They put out four announcements uh, this morning so i just think where the company's at it's uh, it's really worth revisiting the investment proposition to to understand uh, 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 the business and and where it's going so um just a very brief history i think most people uh, know the stock uh, uh, know how it's evolved carl friel um is the executive chairman and really the driving force behind uh, open orphan um he, uh, along with his fellow uh, 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 non director, Professor Brendan Buckley, this morning bought a huge chunk of shares in the company um, uh, and Carl and, uh, purchased another 1 million shares um, at 26.5p, so that's uh, about 300,000 sterling. Um, and Brendan, Brendan Buckley uh, purchased 188,000 shares also at 26p. Um, following that, Carl Friel now owns about 7% of the company. And um, I know when we've spoken before, uh, you know, I always look at uh, a company where a, C, where a CEO or a, uh, an exact chairman has skin in the game. And Carl has really put everything into this. And 
seven percent. You know that that's a, that's a, a man that's absolutely invested into the business. So Open Orphan uh, acquired H Vivo last year, and H Vivo, of course, owns the quarantine centre, the uh, largest quarantine centre in Northern Europe at Queen Mary's Hospital in East London. That's exp- that was expanded to um, to uh, a. a uh, to, to, to some rooms in Manchester also so they have they have uh, an operation up there and um, as it's, it's made the headlines it's made global headlines that um, uh, open orphan have uh, been awarded a contract by the UK government to uh, to um, undertake covid tests um, uh, covid testing to to work through um, what it refers to as challenge trials um, so where where volunteers are given a milder Dose of the of COVID and um, and from there um, vaccines and treatments are, are developed. Um, they announced first thing this morning that they had been awarded an additional contract by the UK government to to expand on the on on the trials um, they've been undertaking due to the success. Um, and uh, you know I think you know obviously the fact that Carl and his co-director invested and bought more shares in the open market. It's a highly significant indication of just just where they're going. Um, a couple of years ago, Open Orphan acquired Venn Life Sciences. Um, well, well, in actual fact, it was reverse takeover into Venn Life Sciences, which was at that point listed. And Venn is uh, it's a, 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 a contract research organisation. Um, also has offices in the Netherlands. Um, and another contract win was announced this morning in the Netherlands, um, 900,000 euros. Um, and Carl Friel said in that announcement that the company often wins new contracts, um, but only the ones that are worth uh, one, uh, around 1 million upwards are announced. So there's work coming into, into this company all the time. Um the company also announced that uh, um, it had spun off some of its um, assets, uh, some of its clinical stage uh, assets uh, um, to, for the treatment of infectious diseases um, into a spin-off called Poolbeg Pharmaceuticals. And again, this morning, um, it was announced that Poolbeg had uh, successfully raised £25 million, um, in, in, a, in a placing of shares at 10p, which will give Paul Berger market valuation of 50 million at the IPO. And of course, companies often do this, particularly in the biotech sector, if they if they have a research arm that's uh, uh, developing a, a, a series of treatments, um, which perhaps could be regarded as an uncore, then it's, it's often the case that they're either sold on or they're spun off separately. And of course, um, that then uh, leads to um, a, a booster on the balance sheet of the the parent company, and of course, in this case, Open Orphan, because it's seeing it's seeing that capitalization um, for the uh, uh, Pullbeg's IPO reflected on the sh- in the shares or through the shares it owns in the company. So, highly significant uh, steps taken this morning, um, and of course, um, I mentioned I mentioned, uh, I mentioned uh, Venn Life Sciences and. HVivo. There's also uh, within the group um, a huge uh, genomic health database. Um, it's one of Europe's largest databases of rare diseases, clinical and genomic data. And a, a patient for each data is worth around £3,000, and they've got hundreds of thousands of pieces of data. So the collective valuation of Open Orphan is, is, is rising rapidly. Company's now worth £179 million. 
and I have said this before when I've spoken about the company, if Open Orphan were listed on the NASDAQ, it would trade on a much higher uh, valuation, uh, we'd expect probably given where the steps the company has taken, and also the fact that the company um, uh, were um, EBITDA positive in the during the first half of 2021. Um, I think if you put those factors together, then the company will probably be trading on a valuation closer to 300,000 if it were listed on the NASDAQ, which of course it's not at the moment, and that's pure speculation on my part. But the fact the fact remains that um, that uh, uh, with Open Orphans' exposure now to international investors, um, I'm sure I'm sure we will see the stock continue to, to uh, uh, progress. Indeed, I mean, I'm just just looking at the uh, you know the full years for 2020, a significant jump in in, in revenue there. Uh, I mean, when you're looking at the shares, though, I don't know. Of course, I mean, there's there's been you know quite a steady pullback um, over the last. I mean, you've, you've got to look back probably two or three months now um, to the beginning of April, which actually coincided with um, some of the news about you know potential spin-offs i mean do you think that that was when i wasn't taken very well um by by the marketing there's an element of disappointment there looking back that that some of these assets will be then put into a new entity i, th- I think uh, uh what's what often happens uh, it's the old saying in the stock market isn't it it's better to travel sometimes than to arrive so the numbers were were expected um and uh uh, and as Carl said in the full year statement, uh, it's not simply satisfied to return to a positive operating position at the end of 2020, um, and it's delivering, targeting to deliver a full year profit in 2021. Um, but earnings are materially improving, and um, the the spin off with Paul Big Pharma will really add further beef into the uh, open orphan balance sheet. But um, there has been a pullback in. Uh, small cap stocks, generally speaking, and I don't think I think the reason for the open orphan pullback is nothing more than that. It's also the same with other pharmaceutical companies and uh, and uh, companies involved in biotech. Um, Destiny Pharma, for instance, shares in that have also uh, retreated slightly, and uh, I think it's just there is just a general malaise in the markets at the moment, and I think also investors, you know, given the uncertainty, given the transition i spoke about earlier um i think uh, i think a lot of people are possibly sitting on their hands and maybe taking profits but uh, nonetheless the underlying business is at open orphan is very strong indeed um and i think uh, you know the news this morning particularly the fact that carl Friel has you know stuck his hand in his pocket put up uh, spent another three hundred thousand on shares in the business that's hugely significant and i think um, we'll see a floor under the shares from this point onwards Yes, indeed. I mean, look, looking looking at the uh, share price in the you know most recent times, it seems to be um, the buyers are starting to come back in. So, um, certainly going to be an interesting story to watch for the rest of twenty twenty. So, just as a recap, there on the equities discussed today, um, we touched on Lloyd's, which trades under the ticker of LLOY. Um, there was Barclays trades under the ticker of BARC. And just then was Open Orphan, which trades under the ticker of ORPH. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, John. So just as I, uh, I touched on in the middle of the podcast, do check out our most recent podcast as well, because there's some interesting 
background into some of the themes that we've discussed today, particularly fintech here in the UK. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.